everyone. This is Dr. Sherry and welcome to Men Power Talks. So today we have a very special guest with us. Uh, his name is Theron Phipps and he is a retired police officer. And we're continuing with our series, Justice, the Waking of the African American Male. Theron is here to um, continue the conversation on justice and what's going on in the world right now with African-American as a whole, um, with the injustice that's going on um, with the police and just racial um, uprising. Uh, we just wanna get a array of perspectives of what can we do, where can we go for the next generation. So Theron, can you please give us a little bit of your background? Uh, where did you come from? Where did you grow up? And a little bit about your career. Thanks, Sherry, and uh, thanks for having me. I uh, grew up here in Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, in Guilford County. Um, I went to high school here, on to college at James Madison University in Virginia, Harrisonburg where I uh, ran track, played football, and uh, signed up for ROTC. Okay. So in addition to my uh, studies, uh, I had a, a lot going on. But um, after college, I uh, completed my uh, infantry officer basic course as a uh, commissioned second lieutenant in the Army uh, at Fort Benning, Georgia. And from there, uh, came back home and basically uh, worked with my uh, grandparents in their uh, business they had here in Greensboro. And sub subsequently went on to uh, become a police officer. Uh, I guess that military experience uh, was an easy transition to the police force and uh, actually made a career out of that. Uh, retired as a um, captain um, in 2014, uh, the very end of it, uh, 2014, I retired um, with the Greensboro Police Department. And I also ran for sheriff uh, a couple of years ago. Okay, so um, growing up um, in Greensboro and having that trajectory, um, into law enforcement, um, um, did something happen um, in your grade school that took you that way? Um, was there always an interest in law and order or anything like that? You know, I really don't think so at the time. Well, I'll tell you what, there is one thing that I can think of now that you've mentioned it. I do recall as a kid, uh, my brother and I, uh, live, lived with our grandparents who were raised by them. And I, I had a silver dollar uh, on my desk in my bedroom. And so this particular friend came over. Uh, we played outside and they came inside for a while. And, and the friend left. And I just happened to notice when I went back in the house that my silver dollar was missing. Mm. So I immediately got on my bicycle. The friend just lived like about four blocks from where we lived. I immediately got on my bicycle and I 
actually caught up to him because he was walking before he got to his house about maybe two houses down. And I confronted him and said, uh, give me back my silver dollar. For some reason, I just knew that he was the one that had taken it because, you know, it was there when he came over and it was gone. Mm-hmm. He left. And so he didn't really um, deny it. And he ended up opening his mouth, pulling out the silver dollar out of his mouth (laughs) and handing it to me. Mm -hmm. I took it and I went back home. So in that sense, yes, I guess you can say that's what started my law enforcement career. Okay. (laughs) It's the small thing like, no, you're not going to like defile me like that. that. Wow, it's almost like a horse. Like you're like getting on your horse, and you're gonna like go and get them wild, wild west. But that's Absolutely. good. Yeah, that that is making people accountable, and he's probably um, can we probably remember that as well. So it it probably started as a, a very young age, which is you know um, really good. So in Greensboro, in those, in those, um, around that time, what, what era would that have been? Would that be in seventies or? Um, yeah, it was in the sixties. Sixties, uh, okay. I was born in nineteen sixty, so okay. Put it that way. Okay. And so, so from there, you know, I experienced all the things that, uh, like Martin Luther King Jr. being assassinated. I saw that on TV mm-hmm. as a kid, so. Those are some of the things that I experienced, at least through the media, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. not personally, but uh, I could see that, you know, we were different or treated differently or something just wasn't uh, right um, when it came to uh, equality. Okay, but you just saw that through the media, but in your community, you felt the same um, because you were around African-Americans and you felt, how did you feel? Um, with your people. Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in a predominantly uh, African-American area, mm-hmm. um, southeast part of town. I actually uh, grew up about three blocks from where the uh, shootout took place in, uh, in uh, um, Ray Warren. I mean, it wasn't Ray Warren. I forgot the name of it now because they tore it down. It was Hope Six. But uh, 1979, so it wasn't far from there um, that uh, I grew up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I didn't have any problems, I'd not a whole lot of interactions except for school with um, anyone that, other, any other one that, than African-Americans uh, that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's a lot going on, um, Theron, um, right now, I mean, the, feeling is is different than it's ever been that that I can remember and I grew up you know I was born in early 60s and I mean I remember just a little bit about you know things being un, an unrest in around 1965 70s were not bad for us I grew up in Michigan um, but this thing that's going on is different feeling so with um, what's going on, what's your sentiments with, with uh, what started with George Floyd? What's your sentiments about that? What comes up for you and the impact that it's had 
not only on our nation, but um, around the world? Well, he definitely was the one, the last one in a string of, not the last one, but the most recent one, let's say, in a string of police misconduct against African-American men that caused what, what we term as a tipping point um, regarding uh, the public, public's uh, wariness when it comes to uh, law enforcement's uh, misuse of power, abuse of power, and um, uh, just the callousness by which this was done while on video was really disturbing to a lot of people. And the use of excessive force was just unnecessary. Uh, and not only did it violate internal policy, that he's not trained to do that, but it was criminal. And so that's why he was charged with murder. But it's just a long list of these things that we heard about before, but now mm -hmm. that everyone has a video on the camera, Right. Uh, we see it. We mm -hmm. should see it more through the body cams that police officers wear, but those are restricted in some mm -hmm. states like North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So now people are taking it upon themselves to video these incidents uh, as proof that these things do occur mm -hmm. and how they occur. Right. So do you think that it's systemic and why is it so systemic why it is so ingrained in culture because it's not just in one department it's not just in one state it just seems to be so widespread is it just ingrained in people that the way they operate with a certain race or um you know what what is it or is it training? Well, that officer wasn't trained to do that. Mm -hmm. So you have to go back. So he, he's, a, he's a, a person. He's an individual. Uh, he's a human being. Mm -hmm. And we are not born racist. Mm -hmm. That's taught. Um, so it's, I'm not sure exactly uh, why some officers think they can uh, treat People, some people, it's any kind of way, but um, I think it's their perception of uh, maybe the African American male. Um, some may view an African American male, even when he's not doing anything, um, that he's a threat. Um, I may see that individual as, you know, if he has his pants hanging down, that that's just that's his style. Another officer may see that something, see that a different way, completely. Right. So it's a matter of being comfortable, matter of understanding different cultures, and and basically just using the golden rule. You know, right. treat others as you want to be treated. Right, right. Not that hard. You know, you don't mm -hmm. have to be trained in that. You just have to be, you know, a a caring hum human being. Uh, who mm -hmm. wants to actually serve the public because that's what we are right We're public servants so um you know we have to keep that in mind throughout our careers mm -hmm. 
And just because you see a person who's, like you said, maybe even walking down the street and they're dressed a certain way, um, you, you gotta check yourself and say, just because they look that way, they're not a criminal. They're walking down the street. It's a free street. They're not a criminal. So I don't need to just stop them and harass them. Correct. Police are trained to look at people's actions, not the color of their skin, not what they are wearing necessarily, you know, um, not what neighborhood they're in, but simply their actions. And so when you, when you um, stray from your training and you start to filter things through your own cognitive filters, if you will, um, how you grew up, uh, what you see on TV, what your friends say about different people, uh, different races, then things start to get uh, skewed mm -hmm. and um, you're not doing things based off your training, you're, you're doing things based off of your own upbringing and your perceptions. And that's when you um, become dangerous mm -hmm. or you can become dangerous. Right, right. So I was thinking, you know, because I know they canceled a couple pop shows and, um, and I'm thinking because maybe it was doing that, it was showing the perception that certain groups of people were this way. I mean, um, and it's just that if they're in a certain community, then uh, they obviously do this sort of thing. Because as I've been talking to uh, men, um, man, the stories is like as young as 15, they're just riding down the street with their friends and they're stopped. And they, and some of the things that happen to them, you know, with guns pointed at them at 15 and they're just riding down the street with their friends and they're at that age it just seems so traumatizing it's like you know why did that happen um and um like you said they're not trained to um stop because of just because of a color they're trained because of actions and Correct. somewhere yeah and somewhere that that went arise somewhere that's where we got to get back to because that that does make a lot of sense <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah so uh do you see things getting better based on this alarm that's uh, rang so loudly and um what do you think can right some of these wrongs well my hope is that things will change because you really can't call yourself a public servant without listening to the people whom you serve. Um, and the feedback that law enforcement is getting is that we are not going to continue to tolerate um, law enforcement taking the lives of our uh, African-American men and women, mm -hmm. or anyone uh, for that matter, um, illegally. Uh, because just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. Uh, and that's an example of the more recent uh, Rashard, Rashard uh, down in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. uh, just because, I mean, he was running away just because technically when he turned to point the taser, 
at the officer who was chasing him. Um, just because legally you may be able to shoot him and to be a justified shooting doesn't mean you, ha you have to. You already know who he is, his car is there, it's not going anywhere. You could, you know, even if, even if he ran away, you could um, get a warrant and go pick him up later. Right. You, know, you don't have to kill him. Mm -hmm. I thought uh, the same way. Yeah, so, so the argument is, on the police side is, well, he could have incapacitated the officer with the taser and, and thus uh, mm -hmm. grab his weapon and use it against him. Yeah, that's true. That could have happened. So that's why you can, he may be able to justify that legally, but that he, he didn't have to do that. And so that's the, um, that's, that's the problem. Um, things that you can legally do, but should you? Uh, a lot, you know, you could have 10 different officers in that situation. One may shoot, the other nine would not do that. Yeah, and I think those are the things, um, and when you think about it, if you look at all the different killings, going from the little kid that was playing with a little play gun, did they have to kill the little kid, <laughs> you know? And all the other ones that were running away, who were unarmed, so many, it was it's interesting so many unarmed like were unarmed did they have to kill them and that's the that's the question you know um that i think has to be asked um but i wanted to ask you a question about as african-american males because that's what i'm talking about today i growing up and they're going through grade school um, and then there's a certain point, of course, when a young man grows up and then they're no longer cute and cuddly and, you know, everyone wants to play with them and the Boy Scouts, um, Cub Scouts become Boy Scouts and then they become a threat. And then the one wants to, certain communities, unless they have really good parents and they're fighting for them um, and they're up at the school and checking the work and everything, you know, some school, school systems can get away with not teaching them anymore. They're like, they're a threat. They don't kick them out of school. Um, what do you think needs to be done in school systems to make sure that everyone gets the equal opportunity to learn and to get through school, whether they have fathers in the homes or not? What is the educational responsibility? I think in that respect, it takes a, a community. Okay. Uh, a community in the schools and the homes and the church, uh, social services. It, it, it takes a village, mm -hmm. um, African term, um, to get especially um, our children uh, through these uh, phases of life to where they can flourish, learn, flourish, um, be told they can uh, be anything they uh, set their mind to be without um, being held back by uh, their socioeconomic uh, plight, um, by, you know, police coming to the house, you know, to break up the parents' fights. You know, it's just, it's really tough for some, some of our African-American kids growing up. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of hurdles to get over. Okay. So we have to understand that 
um, it takes a holistic approach um, to help get through life uh, in those formidable years, like you talked about. Okay. I think we, I think that's what you see with some of the uh, defunding the police type language and, um, you know, people want to redirect funds to certain things and, you know, I'm not sure everybody has a different definition of that. I don't think there's one clear definition of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But basically, when it comes to policing, you're talking about you know, preventing crime and solving crime and serving the public. I don't think the public really, uh, I don't think the public is saying they really don't want that. Mm-hmm. What they want is to be policed in a way that's, that's acceptable to mm-hmm. them, to society as a whole. And that's not asking much. You know, we can do our jobs uh, without uh, murdering people. Mm-hmm. Uh, most police officers uh, are out trying to build trust. It takes one incident, not even here, but somewhere in the country or in the world that causes the rise up as you see now um, that it's like taking a step forward and two steps back uh, when it comes to building trust because you have to have accountability and you have to have transparency. And the more transparency and accountability you have, then the, that builds trust. Mm-hmm. So when you make those deposits, uh, like a bank deposit, building trust, because there's going to be a withdrawal like mm-hmm. we saw with George Ford. So you need to You need to understand that every interaction with every citizen every day is an opportunity to is an opportunity to build trust. And that's that's a very good point because the defunding of the police is a big it's a big cry. And I think to me it was a cry to the um, I don't know, just to the nth degree, like just making a huge cry to get attention to say we need to revamp this. We need to rethink this whole thing. And your point is well taken. People do want to be police. We don't want the wild, wild west or for it to be chaotic, but we want it to make sense so things are done decently and in order. Um, and people don't need to be murdered. People need the support of the police when it's needed. Um, want communities to run well organized <laughs> and police can certainly help with that. You don't want police coming in the neighborhood taking your grandchild because their light was out. You know, there was a, um, I don't know, something on Facebook and the police is coming to get the poor um, 90 year old woman's grandchild because the light was out and they had them all on the ground and everybody's you know, in an uproar. So things like that. So um, yeah, the defunding, everybody does have a different um, take on it, but I am hopeful. So um, are you hopeful that things will- Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of listening. It's not a us against them. Mm-hmm. It's a community working together to solve problems, solutions to problems. And when we have a problem like this, 
we need to find solutions to it. So we need to sit down, have conversations about it, and then have real reform so that the public can tell us, listen, you, you all do good work, but then sometimes um, things like this happen and then we lose trust in you. So let's come up with a plan. Uh, let's come, come up with a way that uh, we can still have police, but you can police us in, in a way that's acceptable to the public. If you are public servants, you're listening to us, then we think you are willing to do that. Okay, sounds good. All right, well, I'm gonna pause just for a second and um, put in a plug about Men Power Talks podcast, which was put together to talk to men about finance, um, relationships, and health, and to listen to men um, about these challenges and some best practices, men helping men, and also to um, men who may need a, a coach. I am Dr. Sherry, and I am a coach licensed by the International Coaching Federation. And so if a man needs any support in any of those areas, they can definitely contact me at www.menpowertalks, and I'll certainly get back with them. So I wanted to get back with you, Theron, if you had any parting um, um, message that you would like to leave to any man about um, anything that's on your heart? Well, what I would say is, listen, keep raising your voices, um, keep demanding change. Um, don't let this momentum and this tipping point um, kind of go to the wayside like it has before. Um, make this real change. Uh, I, I'm with you. I support you. Um, I, I want the police and the public to be one, working together to solve problems, not create them. And I think together uh, with dialogue and real change, we can do just that. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. Thank you, you too. Bye-bye.